Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. From CAFE, welcome to Stay Tuned. I'm Preet Bharara. We did not address collusion, which is not a legal term. Rather, we focused on whether the evidence was sufficient to charge any member of the campaign with taking part in a criminal conspiracy, and it was not. Let me say one more thing. Over the course of my career, I have seen a number of challenges to our democracy. The Russian government's effort to interfere in our election is among the most serious. This deserves the attention of every American. That's special counsel Robert S. Mueller III. He's not my guest this week, but he is the principal witness. Yesterday, Bob Mueller gave his first public testimony since the release of his two-volume report 14 weeks ago. The report documented Mueller's investigation into Russian efforts to interfere in our election and the president's efforts to impede the investigation, in other words, to obstruct. Joining me for today's second-ever special Mueller edition of Stay Tuned is my friend Ann Milgram. Ann is the former Attorney General of New Jersey, a longtime friend, and my co-host on the weekly Cafe Insider podcast. Okay, so ready to break down Mueller's testimony? That's coming up. Stay tuned. Hey, folks. This week, we're focused on Bob Mueller. But every Thursday on Stay Tuned, I answer your questions and talk with interesting people about the intersection of law, democracy, and justice. Subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help us spread the word, rate and review Stay Tuned with Preet on Apple Podcasts. That helps new listeners find the show. Hi, Ann. Hi, Preet. So here we are on the big day. It's Wednesday, July 24th. It's about 4 p.m. Bob Mueller, highly uh, anticipated testimony in front of two House committees, just concluded a few minutes ago to let people know so they can get a picture. We're in a podcast studio in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, just a few blocks from where the testimony occurred. And uh, you and I watched part of it together, part of it separately. Before we get to the substance and the performance and what it means for the future, I do want to brag about one thing. That is, when we when we previewed the episode on the Cafe Insider podcast, we talked about what kind of drinking game you might do, and a listener actually posed a question. Yes, Ted Locke posed a question at Preet Bharara, 
How drunk would you and at Ann Milgram have been if you two had actually taken up the drinking game from Stay Tuned? And the drinking game was every time Bob Mueller says, I refer you to the report, yes. you take a drink. How drunk would we have been? So drunk. Like obliterated. I, I wonder, I mean, I'm sure so, someone on the internet has done a, a count of how many times Robert Mueller said that today, but it was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, you could have even done a more specific drinking game and said every time Bob Mueller says the word purview, as in that's not in my purview, you take a swill of a mimosa, yes, there also was, drunk. There was also a lot of, I'll refer you to the report, Right. the I can't answer that. I mean, there were a million different ways in which he said. Which was to be expected. Yes, agreed. Uh, because he said that that would be true. He would not go outside the four corners of the report, which pretty much he stuck to, even in ways that were annoying to the Republicans who wanted to ask about the origins of the investigation as well. And to the Democrats who wanted to sort of get him to sort of take the facts in the report and, and go to the next level of conclusions. And if I were to sort of characterize today's hearing in some ways, I think that when people ask Mueller facts and specific facts related to the report, we got a lot more answers than when either side, the Democrats or the Republicans, tried to get Robert Mueller to draw conclusions about his work. That was not happening. Not only was that not happening, you know, a lot of people predicted that what would be powerful is to have Bob Mueller read in his own voice sections of the report, which by definition, by the way, is within the four corners of the report. As we have learned, Bob Mueller not only refused to do that, but there was a negotiating issue for him. And, and every once in a while, a member tried to ask him to read a sentence or two from the report, and he would say, I would prefer that you do that. Yeah. What's interesting about that is so one of the effective ways to question Mueller would have been to go through, and a couple of folks did this, to go through some of the specific lines from the report and, and even have him read it. It was incredibly clear that he wasn't prepared to be anyone's witness, neither the Democrats nor the Republicans. It's like you called, you know, in this hearing, Bob Mueller is the pinata, and I was talking about him as the ping pong ball, but like, <laughs> he he wanted none of that. And so he was, he was like, in my view, he was just incredibly going out of his way to be non-political, almost to an extent that you just, you don't, you don't really see. And very minimalist. So I was on the set at CNN for the entire portion in front of the Judiciary Committee. And I remember thinking to myself that before the first break, I don't think there was a multi-sentence answer that Bob Mueller gave to anything. As I've said before that I don't think he wanted to be either a pawn or a pinata. He also didn't want to be a prop. Yeah. He doesn't want to appear in, you know, Tom Steyer ads on impeachment by actually reciting the stuff in the report. I think you just said exactly why he didn't read from the report, because he doesn't want that to be taken and used for either side, for or against the president. It's it's interesting, too, because he very much did not want to testify. I mean, like, really, like, really, really didn't want to testify. Incredibly did not want to testify. And that was clear, I think, from the moment he walked in today that he was there under subpoena. He was complying with that subpoena, but that he really, it pained him, I think, to be there. And and to your point, you're right. I mean, most of the answers today were true, correct I refer you to my report. I'm not going to say it. Just there were only a few times where he actually talked. Right. And, and another another one of his mantras was, "I'm not sure I agree with that characterization." Right. I can't adopt your characterization. I think I said that. Before. I, I can't accept that uh, characterization. I'm not certain I would agree with that characterization. It's sort of interesting to be uh, viewing a hearing, in this case, two hearings over time, and seeing how the news shifts, and seeing what seems important early maybe seems less important later in the day. And so maybe we'll go through some of what the big takeaways were. And whether they're as big as they seemed when they first happened in the hearing. So, so the big takeaway all morning, the cable news networks had as their chyron something that happened in the first five minutes after the opening statements. And that was 
the examination conducted by the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, who, by the way, I gave an A to. Not that he cares about my grade, but, and I don't grade everybody. And you're grading a little bit on a curve when you're talking about Congress. But I thought, contrary to some people's expectations, that he did a dramatically good job uh, by asking short questions, pointed questions, yes, no questions, and was on a roll asking Mueller, is this true? Is that true? Is the following true? Mueller would reply, yes or no. And the thing that got a lot of people's attention and remained sort of like the big news in the headline for a long time today, earlier in the day, was when he said... So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. Now, in fact... Your report expressly states that it does not exonerate the president. It does. Did your report totally exonerate the president? And he said no. That's right. And that was really important because Mueller's report clearly stated that it didn't exonerate the president. But then we've had now months of the president and other people on the president's behalf coming out and saying it's a total exoneration. And so it was actually without making Mueller say the president is a liar, it was putting up the, you know, without saying this, but essentially saying, is what the president has said about your report being an exoneration, is that true? And Mueller saying, point blank, no, it's not an exoneration. And that was important to hear publicly. So so it was a big deal, I guess. I'm going to have a contrary view in a second, because it was Bob Mueller saying it and saying no. But in some ways, unsurprising, because as you point out, it was in the report. Not only was it in the report, it was in the summary that a lot of people have taken issue with because it distorted the report. But the one thing it did not distort was this line from the report that says, we do not exonerate the president on the issue of, of obstruction. And it's interesting that the fact that he's saying it on television, for some reason, that becomes a much bigger deal, even though we knew that's Bob Mueller's view. And we knew that even the attorney general had to convey that that was Bob Mueller's view. It's one of the few things that was not distorted in the summary. I think you're totally right. But I would also note that Mueller wrote the report. The report came out Barr completely frames it. He does say that there's no exoneration, but he goes out of his way to say the president hasn't committed obstruction of justice and is exonerated on the conspiracy to work with the Russians to influence the election. And so the president saying that repeatedly and sort of having that be one of the ongoing themes for the past few months, I do think it was important for Mueller specifically and personally to say, no, that's just not that's just not true. That's not the case. And to sort of refute both what the president said and also, you know, in some ways what Barr intimated, even though he included that line in the report. So, look, I, I think that does resonate for a lot of people, the fact that Bob Mueller contradicts the president. Now you can have competing not just sound bites, but also video bites that will presumably be on the, on the network news tonight and, and over the coming days. So here was the other big blockbuster thing that at least I said was a bombshell that occurred during the judiciary portion of the hearings today. And that is in an exchange between Bob Mueller and Ted Lieu, they began talking about why it was that Bob Mueller chose not to indict the president with respect to obstruction. If you believe, like I do and a lot of other people do, that there's a lot of evidence in that section. And Bob Mueller had taken the view, well, you know, we've decided not to decide. And it looked like Bob Mueller was saying something new and different and really significant. And the exchange was, Congressman Liu asked Bob Mueller the question. I believe a reasonable person looking at these facts uh, could conclude that all three elements of the crime of obstruction of justice have been met. And I'd like to ask you, the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, That is correct. The fact that 
their orders by the president were not carried out. That is not the a reason you did not indict Donald Trump is because of the OLC opinion. Is that correct? And Mueller said, without hesitating, that is correct. That was kind of an explosion in my ears, because then you're saying this whole question of whether someone is or is not above the law uh, is being answered in a way, because Mueller was saying, essentially, but for the OLC opinion, we would have indicted. And the question was pretty clear. He didn't say a reason you didn't indict or one of the reasons you didn't indict. He said the reason you did not indict was because of the OLC opinion. Is that correct? That's correct. That felt like a bombshell to me as well. And I know he walked it back later before his testimony began in House Intelligence. But I'll say this as well. I think that there was a kernel of that in the initial conversation and questioning with Representative Nadler and Mueller, where it was it was not as explicit as it was when Representative Liu did it. But there was a but for the OLC opinion, you would have indicted. And then after Liu... When the Republican congresswoman tried to get Mueller off of that, he he did he stood his ground mostly. I mean, he he hedged a little, but so there are there are like three instances during the first hearing where it felt to me that, and again, I think Representative Lew was the only time he really said it completely and explicitly. But there are a few times that it felt like Robert Mueller was saying what I actually believe from having read the report, which is, but for the OLC opinion, if Mueller could have indicted the president, he would have indicted the president for obstruction of justice and. It was an incredible thing to hear Mueller say that. And let me add one thing. I understand Mueller took it back, and we have to honor that. But there are a few people in the world who I think choose their words more carefully than Robert Mueller. And again, it wasn't just once. It was a few times that this came back. He did repeatedly walk it back later and say, I don't want to characterize well, it beyond when, the report. Why don't we go to that, right? So it seemed to me when he answered the Lou question directly and explicitly, and it's you know literally the central question for a lot of people, and he must have been prepared on that question more than any other question, Yes, that heads must have been exploding at Maine Justice. Bill Barr's head must have been exploding. Donald Trump's head must have been exploding. All sorts of heads exploding. Those are the sounds you were hearing during, during the hearing. And I actually speculated on television that clearly somebody is trying to fix this mm-hmm. and we'll be calling Mueller and, and we'll see what happens. And when I was asked the question, what are you looking forward to hearing or expecting from the intel hearing? It was this. Would there be a walk back? And sure enough, in his opening statement before the Intel Committee, out of the box, before he gets to questioning, Mueller says, I want to go back to one thing that was said this morning by Mr. Liu, by Mr. who Liu, said, and I quote, Who said, and I quote, you didn't charge the president because of the OLC opinion. That is not the correct way to say it. As we say in the report, and as I said at the opening, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. We did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I'm ready to answer your questions. <laughs> yep. So you see that bomb? Kaboom. I, yeah. I put it out. Yes. It's not that satisfying a walk back. It, it takes you back into this weird neverland of you didn't exonerate the guy, but you're also not saying you committed the crime. Um, well, we've talked about this a it lot. It doesn't make sense. It's such a complicated space that Mueller put himself into in some ways and that the report falls into, which is that, okay, on the conspiracy that he says, you know, I'm not finding that the president engaged in a criminal conspiracy with the Russians. But then when it comes to obstruction, he says, I can't make a conclusion. I can't draw a conclusion as to whether or not a crime was committed. That wouldn't be fair. And there's this OLC opinion. OLC opinion is number one. It wouldn't be fair. Is number two. 
but by the way, I'm not exonerating him. And then he goes on to write essentially a prosecution memo, which is here are the three elements of obstruction of justice. And here's the evidence that we had to go to each of those three elements. And there are some where I think the evidence isn't fully there. And they sort of are upfront about saying, you know, we didn't we didn't obtain evidence, for example, in a couple instances of, I think, corrupt intent. But there are other places where they hit all three of the necessary elements. And at least four or five of them feel like places where you or I might have approved in our prior careers, someone going forward into the grand jury to seek an indictment on those crimes. And so it's sort of like he's in this really weird position. And he definitely didn't want to make news today. He definitely didn't want to go out of the four corners of the report. But it feels to me like his first answer was the honest answer. The reason why it's so important, if there had not been the walk back, and assuming the walk back Uh, is not accepted, is that the Democrats need a reason and a basis that's simple and easy to understand as to why they would proceed with impeachment, even though the polls are now showing, you know, dropping support for continuing with impeachment. And that is, if it was the case that Bob Mueller and his team concluded that the president had committed a crime, but he uniquely in in the country can't be charged with that crime, that provides the basis for saying, well, no person is above the law and we need to proceed here. And that coming not from a partisan person, but that coming from the special counsel and Bob Mueller makes it a different order of magnitude serious. I agree. And they seem to have lost it with the walk back. So right. I'm not quite sure how that plays out. What do you think? You're completely right. I think if it were left as it was, you have a very respected criminal prosecutor who is the special counsel saying the president committed a crime. And then Congress is in the position of sort of saying, well, there's evidence of a crime that we're not making that determination. Robert Mueller has made it. And so it's really powerful. I do think a couple of things. One is I think it's accurate. I think he did walk it back and I understand why, but I think it's consistent with how I read the report. And I think a lot of people read the report. The problem now with the walk back, you can't go out and say, well, Robert Mueller said But for the OLC opinion, it would be a crime because he doesn't want to describe it that way. So it loses its impact in an enormous way. Do you think that, as I speculated, that in between the two hearings, Bob Mueller was contacted by Bill Barr or that his deputy, Aaron Zebley, was contacted? Or do you think his own team internally decided they needed to walk it back? I'd like to know the answer to that question. I would, too. And and it affects my thinking about the walk back. But the other thing that, that this all relates to, and a little bit of news that came out and a question that I've had for a long time, is when did the special counsel really make the determination that at the end of the day, the OLC opinion would govern and there could be no indictment of the president. Uh, was it recent in time? Was it midway through? And he basically said at the outset, they knew two years ago, right, that there would ultimately not be an indictment of the president. And they investigated anyway. If you're a layperson, you're like, well, if you knew in advance that you can't indict a person and you're a criminal prosecutor, what was the point? Why did we spend all this time? And one of Bob Mueller's answers was, well, the OLC memo says you can investigate somebody including a president, it doesn't preclude investigation, it just precludes indictment, even a sealed indictment. Uh, and there may be other people who are involved in the activity. You could have co-conspirators and you got to see where the, where the road leads. But the other thing that that suggests is, so it's not just done for naught, is that there's some other body who can hold a president accountable, either a future prosecutor once he leaves office, and he was very clear about that, that was another you know bad moment for the president, or Congress. Yes. Very much so. And and we should note that he, he refused to sort of answer any question that went to their deliberative process internal to the investigation. But this was a great example where he argued, I thought, strongly in favor of why the investigation continued and pointed out that they did, in fact, charge a number of people in this investigation and a number of the president's associates as well. And so I thought that was a, a critical point. I also thought 
when combined with what you just noted, which is Mueller saying absolutely clearly, yes, the president can be charged after he leaves office, which is that it's not immunity from being charged. It's just a temporary period in time which you cannot indict the president. And it says in the report, and, and we've talked about this, and I think a lot of other folks have talked about it, that the best time to get evidence is close in time to when a potential crime has been committed. It's really hard to do it, to wait till the president is out of office whether it's four years or eight years, and of course, statutes of limitations may have run, but it's really impossible to wait to gather evidence and do the investigation. And so I thought that was an important moment today. We'll be back with more on Bob Mueller's testimony after this message. Stay tuned. This episode is supported by ZipRecruiter. It's important to surround yourself with good people. Here in D.C., that's obviously difficult. Finding qualified candidates takes a long time. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Preet. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes, finds people with the right experience, and invites them to apply. Then ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Preet, stay tuned listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Preet. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-R-E-E-T. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Take a step back here and we'll go back into the substance of some of the, the back and forth. One thing that happens in life is the creation of expectations. So on the issue we were just talking about, to me it's significant in terms of perception that for a long time, lots and lots of people thought, notwithstanding this OLC opinion, which was not as well known two years ago as it is now, that maybe there would be an indictment of the president. And it's a little weird in the universe to know that the special counsel determined two years ago there would be no indictment, but the rest of the world thought that there could be. And so expectations were raised, or at least expectations that were raised were never legitimately brought under control. So that's one example of it. Another example of it is we've been told for months and months, and I've been saying that Bob Mueller should testify, you've been saying he should publicly testify. So there's a lot of buildup to this thing. And in recent days, I was wondering, is it going to live up to the buildup? And for a lot of reasons, I think you and I agree that it, that it wouldn't because Bob Mueller is so minimalist and was a reluctant witness. And it is true, there's a report, but even as recently as last night and this morning, lots of folks were saying, well, this could be a huge blockbuster thing. Was it? A couple of points. I think the key to life in some ways is having low expectations or at least managing your expectations. And so I very much think that the media overblew what the outcome of this would be. And you're right, even as recently as this morning, people were saying this is absolutely going to lead to impeachment. People asked me the other day, you know, will Mueller agree that Trump should be impeached? Will Mueller say Trump? No way. Right. No way. <laughs> will, will Mueller say that Trump committed a crime definitively? No way. And so there were some questions about whether or not the president had answered truthfully in the responses he'd given to Mueller. And Mueller effectively said no. And so here's another example of an exchange that maybe has a lot of import based on the way it was answered. And maybe it gets walked back and People were speculating as we were leaving to come to the studio, well, would it be walked back? Because it seems kind of extraordinary. This is a Democratic representative, uh, Val Demings. Could you say, Director Mueller, that the president was credible? I can't answer that question. Director Mueller, isn't it fair to say that the president's written answers were not only inadequate and incomplete because he didn't answer many of your questions, but where he did, his answer showed that he wasn't always being truthful. 
there, uh, I would say, uh, generally. Generally. Director Mueller, it's one thing for the president to lie to the American people about your investigation, falsely claiming that you found no collusion and no obstruction, but it's something else. Mueller replies, altogether. I would say generally. You know, the cold transcript seems to suggest he was basically saying, yeah. The president lied. The president lied in written answers to the special counsel's office. But then you think about how other parts of the testimony went today, and it's not quite that precise. I would say generally. I would say generally what? <laughs> he said that a few times, though. Yeah. He said, I would say generally a few times where people were trying to pin him down to specific things in the report. And he, you know, it's a 400 plus page report and he wouldn't have the specific site in front of him. And so I think he was trying to basically say, like, generally, I agree with what you're saying. I found that to be really damning for the president and a really important moment today because he didn't want to go into too much detail of who didn't agree to testify, but it's part of the report that the president did not agree to testify and that they'd made numerous efforts. And so that's a moment where beyond the answers being incomplete, untruthful, I mean, it's sort of like, well, the president wouldn't answer half your questions. The obstruction questions would only answer questions on conspiracy. And by the way, the answers he gave you Mueller didn't say this, but remember, there were a ton of I don't remember, I don't know. And so Mueller's saying generally, yeah, we didn't find it to be complete or truthful. That's a big deal. And it's also, again, remember, this is the president of the United States who refused to walk into an interview, who filed written answers. And then even with those written answers, the special counsel did not believe that the president was forthright. That is hugely important as we think about you know what's gone on. So Mueller did in some ways today, I think, exactly what you and I would have expected him to do. What I would have liked for him to have done, which if I were honest about this, I knew he wouldn't do it, but I would have liked more of a conversation about the president not testifying um, and not being subpoenaed to testify. I mean, Mueller went, gave us a little bit there and saying there's a balance between looking at the information that you have and the amount of time it takes to go through litigating a subpoena against the president. Um, But I would have liked to have heard more about that. Um, the fact that Don Jr. would not testify, did not provide information, Mueller wouldn't answer those questions. And that's in keeping with the letter that the Department of Justice just sent saying, don't talk about third parties um, who haven't been charged. So I think Mueller, I don't know whether he was self-constraining or he felt constrained by the department letter, but he was very cautious as a witness. Should we talk about this decision not to pursue compelling the testimony of the president for a second? Um, Something I was really struck by I guess I've always believed that Bob Mueller imposed a clock on himself. He wanted to get this thing done as quickly as possible to avoid criticism. And also, you know, he has better things to do in life than do this. And he said in his opening statement, among other things, that one of his goals was that the investigation, quote, would not last a day longer than necessary. And then when he explained a little bit of that today, as you mentioned, you don't know how long it takes. Uh, to get through the courts and compel the president's testimony. And as I've often said, I'm in a minority here for defending Mueller on this decision. If you started to get into the next year, uh, into the next summer, 2020, approaching the election and holding everything else in abeyance, no report on the conspiracy aspects of it and other aspects of, of obstruction to try to get the president to be compelled to testify, then you're, I think, running up against a very, very, very serious barrier and clock because it looks much, much more political. And we would have, and also you, you maintain this cloud over the country and over the presidency for a long period of time. And the other way to think about it is, it sounds like he had enough. He won't say it because he's bending over backwards to be fair to the president because of what he interprets the OLC opinion to allow or not allow. But you don't seek the testimony of the person if you think you have enough. And I think that's what's going on here. Well, 
let, let's let's parse this out just a little bit. In the report, it basically says there was a question of timing, and we felt we had sufficient evidence to make an assessment. So I think to your point of there was evidence there, um, I agree. Yes, there is evidence there, and there's a considerable amount of evidence. The two places I would sort of go back and forth maybe a little bit with you on to dig deeper is that obstruction is one of those crimes where intent really matters. And so one of the three elements of the crime, the first is there's an obstructive act. The second is that there's a nexus to an official proceeding, a connection to an official proceeding like a grand jury or hearing. And the third is corrupt, corrupt intent. And so I think when intent is as much of an issue as it is with something like obstruction, it is incredibly important when you can get access to someone's testimony to get access to their testimony. So I personally would like Mueller to have interviewed the president. Also, I think there's a question of thoroughness when you're doing these types of investigations of dotting I's and crossing T's. I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but I really wonder today if whether it's more than just the balance of these two things. It's also the fact that he knows under the OLC opinion that he's not going to indict him. Exactly. I think that totally played in, right? Because at the end of the day, you have a certain amount of evidence. Um, you're worried about the timing. And then even if you got this other evidence, in other words, the interview, you're not going to indict him anyway. And it takes a year or it takes six months yeah, to get so that other can, evidence. Can we just, I just want to do this exercise a little bit more. So, so you're the special counsel. And you gather your team together. Let's say I'm on your team. And you say, okay, well, what should we do about compelling the president's testimony? And I've run this scenario through my own head. And your team says, well, we really want to get it because corrupt intent is important. You want to get what's inside the person's head, uh, both for their benefit and for the benefit of thoroughness of the investigation. And then you would ask, I think, well, what do you think the timing is? And let's say, and I, I don't know because it's, it's a little bit speculative, we'll go to the district court and maybe it'll take some period of time, months, maybe weeks only, but probably months. And they'll appeal it and they'll go up. Um, and if you would ask the question, which I would, you know, what's the possibility that this reaches ahead and we're in the position to take the testimony of the president in, say, 13 months or 14 months in September or October of a re-election year? And let's say your team said, look, we can't promise. We don't know. It could be. It could be on the eve of the election. Uh, and if you also ask the question of your team, well, could we put the report out in bits and pieces? So even though the obstruction stuff has to be on hold until we get this decision from the court about compelling testimony, can we put out the conspiracy stuff? Absolutely not. You couldn't do that, right? Yeah. And so not to overly defend the decision, I'm just thinking if I were in that spot, there's no good result. And I agree that there's no good result, particularly because I think you're right. But you would have taken that risk. You would have taken the risk of have this you know, see, reach ahead on the eve of an election when the whole issue here is that the president thinks... It's a witch hunt. A lot of folks think it's taking too long. And you're otherwise, imagine the following, you're otherwise kind of done as evidenced by the rest of the report. The only thing that you really don't have is the testimony of the president. Do you hold everything frozen for another potential? I think you're leading the witness. <laughs> well, it's, it's a podcast. The, the rules, the federal rules of evidence do not apply. Objection. Certain proceedings, those include podcasts uh, that are recorded in Washington, D.C. Look, I think it's a really great question and a really... Look, people can disagree about this in a in a very real way. Here's where, and I want to agree on one one part very strongly with you, which is that I think that you cannot come close to an election. And the president of the United States is incredibly lucky that Robert Mueller was the special counsel because we saw even Jim Comey, who you know was a is, was a well regarded prosecutor for many years. Comey broke 
what I would argue are whether they're official rules or formal rules or informal rules, but by talking about investigations within a close period of time to an election, you just don't do it. So Robert Mueller is a man of integrity, was not going to come close to the election, and I agree 100% with it. So you're right that there was a timing issue where Mueller could have come up or he could have actually... The worst case scenario even than you've just outlined would be he goes eight months, he realizes he's coming close to the election, and then he says, oh, forget it. Do you know, no, he gives up, which is yes, far worse. Once you go down that path, that's the thing. Once you go down that path, then you got to hold everything up and you got to wait till you go all the way higher up in the courts. And What if he'd started earlier, though? Because I think the one thing I would question in your sort of analysis is that you're presuming, okay, Mueller waits a year, he continues these negotiations, which were pretty clear from all of us sort of looking from the outside early on. The president was not eager to walk in on this. You're saying they could have sought to compel it. Instead of waiting a year, three months, months, go for three months and then say, look, we're going to issue you a subpoena. But there's a conundrum there, too. And again, I don't remember exactly what was accomplished by what particular date and time. But generally speaking... The other traditional way you go about doing these things for good reason, because it makes sense and it's effective, is you don't get the testimony from the principal person you're looking at. Until the the end. Until the end. Yep, that's right. No, you check your boxes, you cross your T's, dot your I's. So on the one hand, you don't want to, you know, front load that because that's not how you do things normally. On the other hand, you have this... Yeah, and I thought they were trying to walk that balance, actually, because they started the conversation clearly pretty early before the investigation. There was still a lot of people who, from public information, they were probably still investigating. So it was clear they were trying to start that conversation without, you know, understanding it might take a yeah. while. I, I think there's, there's a lot of things to keep in mind as we're going to be assessing Bob Mueller, how he went about doing this. We should assess his performance today in a moment um, and questions people have about it. But whether you like it or not, to understand the psychological, you know, approach um, that's legal slash psychological is clearly he did a lot of things that you could have done one way or a different way based on urgency and time. For example, we've talked about this before. He decided to fob off a bunch of investigations and a bunch of cases to other offices. You don't have to do that. Right. You he could have, have kept, going, could have kept and going. Yeah. So all these things you have to view through the prism. And maybe it's not correct uh, or maybe he was overdone. But he wanted to get out of this thing as quickly as possible. And by year two, he wanted to be done. I think it's also consistent with who he is that he – he obviously knew that he was a political football every day and that it, this was a huge American issue. And so, look, I give him so much credit for the way he handled this investigation. And again, I actually don't think that this is as clear cut as people make it seem one way or the other. And let me say one other thing, which is that in criminal prosecutions, you know, I think it would be very helpful for the nation to have had the president had to speak about what he was doing and why and to have answered Mueller's questions. But I also... Um, you know, we've put a lot of hope on a criminal investigation in a way that I have to say is not always fair. And so, you know, Bob Mueller did the right thing, arguably, by the investigation. It doesn't get to the answer that I, I very much would have liked, which is that the president had to answer questions on obstruction of no, justice. No, 100 percent. You know, in some ways, we're falling into a trap, which is assessing Bob Mueller's conduct. And that we're lawyers. That's you know, right. what we do in former prosecutors. And you're assessing, well, should he have done this? Should he have done that? What should the president have done? Right. Agreed. You know, if, if you he should have walked in. He should have walked in. He should have walked in. Clinton walked in. People walk in. I mean, they, you have to negotiate it, but they walked in. But the fact that the president didn't walk in and Donald Trump Jr. didn't walk in. I mean, if you and I are prosecuting a case and uh, we say, hey, you want to come in and talk to us? And people say, no, your takeaway is they don't want to talk to you. And it, it can be great lawyering to basically say my client isn't coming in because you don't want to give the government information to help them make the case. But it's still... 
it says something that the president of the United States would not actually take a lawful request, even though it wasn't a subpoena from the special counsel to well, answer questions. In particular, because, and these mistakes have been made before in the Martha Stewart case and others, you know, there are certain people who are not ordinary citizens, either they're public officials or they're famous in some way, or they have a business. And, you know, sometimes they overrule their lawyers and, and cautious lawyers will say, based on what the facts are, don't go in and talk to the prosecutors because the one thing that will get you in trouble is lying and you can be charged with obstruction. And so you say to the client, don't do this. But some clients, whether it's Martha Stewart or someone else, says, I I can't take the reputational loss of looking like I'm guilty and looking like I'm running away from something. And you would have thought that that would apply to President Trump, but not not President Trump. Yeah, it's true. It's a great point because it sort of felt to me, it felt to me as this was ongoing, like, how does he stay as the president of the United States and not be willing to answer questions about whether he tried to stop an investigation into whether he conspired with the Russian government to interfere with an election? And it's hard to understand. The Martha Stewart example is a great example. So while we're on the subject of, you know, second guessing uh, as armchair pundits, and former prosecutors, <laughs> let's talk about how we did today. And, uh, you know, we have some questions from listeners and viewers. We have a tweet from Assiduous Rabbit. Hashtag AskPreet. The Mueller I'm seeing on TV, is that the Mueller you know? He seems much more hesitant than he's been portrayed. And we got an email from Lisa Kothron, who says, Dear Preet, is it obvious to you that the special investigator's responsibility, together with natural aging process, has taken a toll on Mr. Mueller? Well, first, let me say it's taken a toll on me. <laughs> I feel me. 92 <laughs> at the end of the hearings today. I can barely conduct this podcast today, much less imagine appearing <laughs> in front of a, a bunch of representatives. Look, I've done, I've done, I've never done congressional testimony. I've done um, testimony when I was state AG in New Jersey before the state legislature, and it's tough. And I've never done five hours, but I can tell you that it is grueling. Mueller was working really hard not to say a lot, and that's an effort, I think, to to carefully choose his words and to be really scrupulous about what he said and didn't say. Um, I also feel like there were times, and we'll, we'll come to the way that the hearing was conducted, but I was really frustrated at parts of the morning listening to, and I said this before, people interrupt him, not letting him answer. There was some yelling, not listening. And so I, I sort of think when he was asked really clear, factual questions, he did a pretty good job of answering those. There was a lot of word salad this morning, and it wasn't word salad on everything. And there was also a lot of speechifying where people had very particular things they were trying to pin Mueller to. And he did a lot of the, will you repeat that question? What are you talking about? And, you know, that it certainly didn't, it came across in some instances as halting or as not as confident as you might expect him to be. But he, he was being asked some pretty complex things where people were trying to make political points. And I think he was hesitant again to let people paint him into the corner. So it it wasn't, um, look, he, he didn't go in there to be theater or to be the person who was sort of, um, you know, making news today. And I think he definitely came across as understated, not answering a lot of questions. Well, the one thing he said, he didn't walk back. (laughs) Right. Yeah. that, That broke through and was a little bit different. Look, so one of the questions that I just read was, is that the Mueller you know? And in many ways, yeah, he's the Mueller. You know, in the first round, I was with a panel of people on on CNN, and they seemed taken aback when he began answering questions. Yes, no, no, yes. You don't see that. You see I wasn't people surprised at all. filibuster. Yeah. And that, so, yeah, that's the Mueller I know. The Mueller I know also is the person, as you described, who doesn't want to be the center of attention. 
uh, who doesn't want to be embroiled in political controversy, who doesn't want to allow himself to be used politically in ads, which is why he made a deal that he wouldn't have to read portions of the Mueller report. So all of that, yeah, that's the Mueller I know. You know, frankly, if you say, uh, was he as, as sharp and quick and forceful um, and dominant as I have seen him be, you know, 10, 12, 14 years ago? No. I don't know if that's because this is a scenario in which he was especially reluctant to testify because all of those other hearings combined did not get the attention, um, 88 times I think he testified, did not get the attention that today was going to get and did not have the significance of today. Uh, yeah, so I, I saw Bob Mueller, who is trying not to be political, who does not look political, who's trying to do the right thing, who's trying to obey the guidelines of the department, who's trying to be true to the report, uh, who's trying to get the job done. Um, it's a thankless job that he had, both doing the report, doing the investigation, and also testifying. Uh, and is he as sprightly as he was? No. That, that That's fair. One thing I would say about the dominant question, it was interesting to me, particularly the first half of the morning hearing before the Judiciary Committee. There were a number of places where I thought he was pretty deferential, and I thought I expected him to be a little bit more feisty in defending the report and defending his team and pushing back on some of the things that were coming. And I really, even having seen Bob Mueller testify before and read transcripts and whatnot, I, I expect, so I expected him knowing that he would be reticent and very careful in choosing his words. I expected him to be more forceful on some things. After the break, though, he came back and I don't know if you feel the same way. He <laughs> felt he stronger. Coffee? You get coffee? I, yeah. <laughs> but maybe some people of his team basically said, look, you know, this isn't true and you're trying so hard to not be political you're like you're almost dissing you're you're not in there saying hey wait a minute my team i thought it was a great moment when he was questioned about the members of his team and and how many people on his team were democrats can i speak for a second to the hiring practices sure uh, we strove to hire those individuals that could do the job uh, I've been yeah, okay. I've been in this business for almost 25 years, and yep. in those 25 years, I have not had occasion once to ask somebody about their political affiliation. It is not done. What I care about is the capability of the individual to do the job and do the job quickly and seriously and with integrity. I've never in my entire career asked a single lawyer I've hired what their political party was. And here's what's fascinating about that, Preet, just to stop on that for a minute. Neither have I, and probably neither of no, you. No, you're, well, you're not allowed to. That's what got the Justice Department in trouble with respect to the investigation that I helped lead back in 2007. That's a no-no. But what's amazing is it's like it would never have even occurred to Mueller that people would not have accepted that the 14 people who were already at the United States Department of Justice, that they were non-political. Like, it's just beyond his comprehension that people would politicize his team in the way that it's happened. And that, to me, it was there were some great moments today where he was like, look, I, you know, I stand by the integrity of, of the report and my team. And I think he needed to do that. And I, I wish even in the beginning of the Judiciary Committee, frankly, that he'd done that in a stronger way. What, what do you think of how he handled questions about the FBI agent, Peter Strzok? who had texts uh, with a woman with whom he was having a relationship, Lisa Page, that said negative things about the president. Um, I think he was asked at one point, did you know when you hired Peter Strzok onto the team that he hated the president? And Bob Mueller said, I did not, which is interesting because he didn't seem to push back at the premise of the hatred, which I think is hard to push back on because I don't think uh, Peter Strzok was particularly fond of the president. He tried to finish answering by saying you know, that's when we reassigned him. Um, he didn't decide to give a sort of a lecture in law like you and I have done here and explain why in an ordinary universe to civilians 
uh, just because, and not to condone it, but just because one member of a team has done things that, that exhibit bias, it means that the miscreant goes free. There are other safeguards for that, and the, and the evidence has to stand up on its own, and he was removed pretty early. I mean, he was removed, I think, almost a year, close to a year and a half before the final report was issued. And it's interesting to me that very few Republicans, if any, I would have to go back and look through the whole transcript, quibbled with the actual facts that are shown in the report as opposed to these other issues. Right. That's a great point. I, I think on the text messages, too, he said, you know, the first thing he learned about were the text messages. It does strike me that, that that's one of those painful things where if you're Robert Mueller, he's the least political guy. He does not want to be part of this political um, sort of rugby scrum, which, of course, he's part of because he's the special counsel. And then you have two people on your team who have these political statements come out. It's got to be painful for someone like Mueller because you know, essentially he he gave the Republicans, and we should talk about some of the criticisms today, but there's fodder to argue that there's bias where, you know, Mueller, again, was quick to say, like, I've never asked anyone their political leanings. It's not it's not why I pick these people. These are fine men and women. But it gives it gives something to hit him on. I still have some questions that I don't think were asked. And, you know, every once in a while, I may have sneezed and missed something. And they're not, you know, the most important things, not central to the ultimate conclusions about the culpability of the president. But I wanted to know from Mueller how he felt about the idea that Rod Rosenstein, the former deputy attorney general, was simultaneously a witness in the obstruction case, but also was one of the decision makers with respect to the whole investigation and oversaw it. And I don't think that was asked. No, there were a number of areas that I don't know if Mueller would have answered them, but I would have liked them to have covered with him. And in particular, I think there was stuff related to the Russian government and the interference with the election. I would have liked to have seen them spend more time um, covering, particularly in the intelligence hearing. So what do you think we go from here? Um, And I hate doing this in the way that some people do it, but do you think, and I I don't know how you're going to answer it yet, um, but it is what it is, Uh, maybe disappointed, disappointed. some people might be, you know, satisfied with the answer. But based on how today went, if one of the purposes was, and I think actually Mueller was asked this, you know, it was, no, I'm sorry, one of the chairmen was asked, is the purpose of today's hearing uh, to jumpstart impeachment or something like that? And probably one of the purposes was. Um, I agree with those folks who say that a good predicate was laid down for calling other people, whether you call it impeachment or not, uh, like Don McGahn and others, But after today, does impeachment become more or less likely? So I want to start by saying that every time we make predictions, or at least every time I make predictions, they're often wrong. (laughs) So I want to I want to cabin that. The thing I feel about the way Congress has handled this is I'm I'm not a fan. And just to be really forthright about it. Way to go out on a limb. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I know it's such an easy thing to do to bash Congress. Oh. (laughs) I'm not a fan. And Milgram boldly says she's not a fan of the way Congress did something. Well, here's what I think has happened. Mueller comes out with a report in March. Um, It gets released not long after. And there's been a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of sort of putting their finger in the air to see where's the public. And I think a real hesitation to have this conversation today is the, the, the most significant conversation that we've seen publicly about the report and about Robert Mueller's findings and what happened. And so They've waited a long time, and I agree with you completely. Don McGahn needs to testify. I think there are a lot of fair questions for Hope Hicks and many, many others. And so would I like all those folks to be called? The answer is yes. But there's a point at which we are getting closer and closer 
to having a Democratic and, a, you know, the president will be the Republican nominee for president, that the will be a Democratic nominee before you know it. And okay. so we're in the presidential election season. And so I don't think it's likely that we're going to see impeachment. And today made it less likely. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I mean, my view is if you separate out the substance from the theater, the theater was not conducive to what some people wanted. Um, there were no real huge aha moments. There were a couple of big things we talked about, one of which was walked back. And mostly people who believed a thing before believe the same thing now. It's true. People are set in their opinion. And what we learned today from Mueller, we knew in April from the report. And so there wasn't a lot that was new. Yeah, and I'll say something else further to what we were discussing before about how Bob Mueller performed. And I, this is the odd thing about doing this, right? We are immersed in the actual hearing and watching the things. And I, I have not had a chance to see a lot of reaction, uh, just intermittently very quickly. And there are people who were saying, uh, many of them, but not all of them, who have a vested interest in today being a disaster for the Democrats, who are calling it a debacle, calling it a disaster. I don't think that. Well, I just on, wonder on, if on, it's on, too, if it's a little, if it's a little bit late down the road when there's been a lot of. Well, you know, but so the people who were, who were saying that, based on the substance, there was no damage done that I could see to the conclusions to um, the integrity of the investigation, anything of substance remained intact and, in fact, I think was strengthened in many ways because you saw the demeanor of, of Robert Mueller as, as not being like a hyperpartisan or trying to get someone. So they're basing that all on their perception of the quality of Bob Mueller's performance and, and maybe how sharp he was and how quick he was in the moment. And I get that. But that means that those people are focusing on theatrics rather than substance. Yeah, the substance was, was very strong. The substance has been strong since the report came out. Um, and I think, you know, Congress has made a decision that I don't agree with to sort of stand back and do these sort of small pieces instead of having impeachment hearings and figuring out, did the president engage in conduct that constitutes removable, a removable offense? And so I, I just, my feeling is that at this point, and remember, Congress is leaving this week. And so you know, we'll have a chance to talk about this, I think, going forward on Cafe Insider. But my my expectation is that the reaction to this is not going to be um, it's not going to be an explosion of people asking for impeachment. Look, in a little bit, uh, maybe the Intel Committee's hearing got a little less attention because it was later in the day and people had already formed their impressions of what was going on today based on the early part. And, you know, people lose some patience. It's a lot of hours of hearings to watch. But that was really powerful stuff in the Intel Committee hearing, uh, and, a, you know, a, a reinforcement of this idea that we're not paying enough attention to, that there was a, as Mueller keeps putting it, sweeping and systematic interference in our election. And are we spending enough time thinking about 2020? Are we spending enough time figuring out how to prevent that kind of thing from happening, not just with respect to Russia, some other country as well? And Robert Mueller said, it is, it is happening as we speak for 2020. One of the things that Mueller said today that I found so important and chilling was that Robert Mueller, the man who oversaw the transformation of the FBI after 9-11, that he said in his entire career that this is one of the greatest challenges to democracy that he has ever seen. That is an unbelievable statement from someone like Robert Mueller, who was the director of the FBI for 12 years, oversaw the, po the post 9-11 um, changes in the federal government. And so it really is, even today, I think you're right, there was time spent on it in the Intelligence Committee, but there needs to be more time spent on it for all of us because it matters so greatly to our country. Absolutely. Can I say one final word? Please. Um, it's one final thing in this discussion about Bob Mueller 
who uh, I have deep, deep respect for. And whatever you think about how he conducted the investigation, whatever you think about how he did today, he didn't need any of this. Um, he had already proven himself. He had nothing to prove. He did a thankless job, which probably appears more thankless today than it ever has before. And he's not a young man. And it is probably the case. Someone said this earlier today, and it kind of struck me. Uh, it's probably the case that we will not again hear Bob Mueller speak in Congress or at a press conference or from a podium in any way, shape, or form again. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think we all owe him a great debt of gratitude for what he's done here. Yeah, you know, and I think the president does too. And, you know, people can forget the, the posture of the president and his uh, people, whether they're folks like Corey Lewandowski, Paul Manafort, or Roger Stone, or anyone else, is to destroy anyone who dares to say that the president did something wrong. And the fact is that there are lots of other people who have good records and uh, have, are formidable prosecutors who could have been appointed special counsel, and it would have been a lot worse for the president. And I get, I get that they have to destroy whoever took that job, and in this case, it was Bob Mueller. Um, but in many ways, Trump and his allies should thank their lucky stars that it was someone as fair as him who is getting grief for having bent over backwards to accept the OLC opinion to such a degree that he won't even state something that is apparent to the rest of us. Yeah. What's amazing when you think about it is that in this incredibly politicized world, Robert Mueller, even today, we saw it went out of his way not to be political. And I think with this entire investigation was trying to do it um, straight by the book. And that is, it's, it's a credit to our institutions. It's a credit to him. With this caveat, our reactions, and we like to bring them to you right away. We're taping this literally, having watched the hearings all day and let a few minutes elapse before we came over to the studio. We'll have a lot more to say about it with the benefit of some sleep and some rumination on the Insider Podcast on Monday. And if you haven't yet, sign up for that podcast at cafe.com slash insider. Well, Anne and I could keep talking about Mueller's testimony, and in fact, we do. To listen to the rest of our conversation, become a member of the Cafe Insider community at cafe.com slash insider. Members get access to full episodes of the Insider podcast, bonus material from Stay Tuned, and more. In addition to the rest of today's discussion, Anne and I will have more to talk about on Monday's episode of Cafe Insider, where each week we break down the headlines and make sense of what's happening. Head to cafe.com slash insider and become a member. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have already joined the community, thank you for your support. Well, that's it for this special Mueller episode of Stay Tuned. Thanks again to my guest, Ann Milgram. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The senior producer is Aaron Dalton. And the CAFE team is Carla Pierini, Julia Doyle, Calvin Lord, Benet Basti, and Jeff Eisenman. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. Hey folks, CAFE recently launched something to help you keep on top of today's news cycle. It's a newsletter that recaps news and analysis of politically charged legal matters, the CAFE Brief. Sign up to stay informed at cafe.com slash brief. That's cafe.com slash brief.